Amen. Is there anybody here that has that testimony? Ooh, hallelujah. Mm. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome. My name's Derek Hartley. I'm the Minister of Spiritual Development, and uh, sometimes Brother Fred lets me preach. Today's one of those days, and I'm so tickled to get to do this. Um, and as he entered, or he began with a little bit of an introduction for, of today's sermon, or the sermon series that we are going to be um, a part of for the next few weeks. You know, this sermon series is, <clears throat> Is Your God Too Small? Is Your God Too Small? He, and um, the Holy Spirit has borne this sermon series in Pastor Fred's heart a long time ago. <laughs> Back in his seminary days, he read a book entitled, uh, by J.B. Phillips, entitled, your God is too small. It's a little more in your face. So when he was thinking about what we should entitle the sermon series, he said, I don't want to be quite that in your face. I'm going to maybe form it as a question. It's something for us to contemplate together. Is your God too small? The premise of the book is basically our, our child's idea of, what Jesus, of who Jesus is, of who God is. <clears throat> Our childlike faith, you know, many of us raised in church, many of us raised in Sunday school, we have a, we got a childlike idea of who Jesus was and that he loved us and that he would answer our prayers, he would tuck us in at night and that, and that mommy and daddy believed in him and, and, or, some, or some variation of that. You know, um, <clears throat> some of us then who weren't raised in that environment came to know Christ later in life. And maybe we came to know Christ, we were at our wit's end. Maybe life circumstances and calamities had piled up to the point that we had no idea what to do. All of our efforts were in vain and our lives were in shambles and all we could do was tie a knot at the end of the rope because we'd reached the end of our rope and we were just hanging on and then Jesus. <clears throat> and we, some of us have been miraculously saved. And we've come to the understanding of who He is. Maybe you've been a part of that. Maybe that's your testimony. But the problem is, if we don't grow, then our childlike or our initial understanding of who Jesus is stays right there. Now life keeps going. We keep growing. Things keep building up. <clears throat> but our faith and our understanding of who Christ is doesn't. Just is at a standstill. Far too many Christians find themselves embarrassed by an immature concept of God who seems far smaller and weaker than he appears in the pages of the Bible. We're at a crisis in the belief that way. Many of us come to that crisis of faith. When, our, when life starts bearing down on us, and our circumstances are huge and ugly and woolly booger-esque. We used to, that's a good Alabama word. 
And our faith doesn't match. Jesus is still a baby in the manger. He's, and He's small. And our concept of God is small. We reach that crisis of faith. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, students, teenagers, if your concept of God does not continue to grow, then you are going to be confronted with, some, with something at school in life that's way bigger than that, and you're not going to be prepared. It has to grow. Your understanding has to grow. Your faith has to grow. Let me tell you this. If, if, you, if your concept of who God is is not continually growing, then when calamity strikes like a pandemic or financial collapse or, <clears throat> or disease that's debilitating in you or someone you love, or if your kids stray because you've had... You, all you've known to do is pass your childlike faith to, that has not grown to them, that hasn't grown, and they don't know, and they've not been challenged, and then when they do get challenged, they just lose, they come to a crisis of faith, and they go away. They run. We come to this crisis of faith, and if we're not careful, we're going to let our God be far too small, not even come close to the immensity of the creator of all things. We often make a choice. <clears throat> we have, I, I've sort of identified three choices. I don't know if they're the only three choices. I know. But I've identified three choices we make. When we come to this crisis of faith. One we say okay well I. Is, I guess if this is all there is. I'll just keep doing it. Keep checking the boxes. Because it's what my friends do. It's what my mom and them come to church here. And. I'll just keep doing that. I'll go to Sunday school, go to church. Every now and then I'll put some money in an offering plate. <clears throat> you know, I might even say amen now and then. And we just, this is, this is all there is. So it, and it really doesn't make a difference in my life. I just, this is just what I do. Another choice is, well, if this is all there is, if this is just, if religion is just a bunch of box checking, it's just, a, it's just a joining a club that has a lot of rules, and I've got to be around people who aren't really fun, then I don't want it. I'm gone. Then there's that choice. Then there are those, those courageous folks who, say, who, who read the stories or, or hear the testimonies of others and say, you know, there has to be something more and I'm not going to give up until I find it. I'm inviting you now, today, through this series to, be, to make that choice then I want that. I want that God. I want a gigantic God that I can't possibly understand. I don't want a God that worships me. I want a God that I worship. 
that I stand in awe, better yet, I fall to the ground in awe of because he's so great and vast and immense. That's what I want. And that is the focus of this series. Now there's, the reality is that <laughs> this isn't just a concept that's been born in post-biblical times. It's all in the Bible. And there's stories of that where people's concept of God was just too small. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to be examining some of those stories. And today, we're looking at the story of Jesus when he encounters the woman at the well. And, you know, Pastor Fred has read you the scripture that we're going to be covering today. <clears throat> but there's a little bit of backstory to to that, and I, instead of reading the entire chapter, let me just tell you a story, you know, because I love to tell stories. So Jesus was baptizing a lot of people and making a lot of disciples, right? And, and the Pharisees were already upset about all the disciples John was making, and then here comes Jesus, and he's making even more disciples and baptizing even more people, even though he, was, even though he wasn't doing the baptizing. It was, his disciples were baptizing, and they were just all in a ruckus, in a tizzy. And so Jesus said, you know, I need to give them some time to just settle. It's not my time to get uh, tried just yet. So I'm going to move on down the road and minister a little bit more. Or minister somewhere else. Minister more somewhere else. And so he finds himself going through Samaria, which was a kind of a, a not so kosher thing to do. And so he's going through Samaria, and, he, and he's there walking. And instead of going around Samaria, because they don't want to associate with all the half-breeds, basically that's what it is. And it's not very nice talk, but that's what it was. They didn't want to associate with those people. Most Jews would go around Samaria, but not Jesus, because he's Jesus. He went right through Samaria and found himself at a town called Sychar at the well. And this, was a very, this is a very famous well. Jacob dug this well. And <clears throat> you can go there in the Holy Land. You can go there and there's this church. This church has been built over where the well is. And there's a sweet old priest there. And it has been his life's mission to design, build, and protect and more, a church over the site of Jacob's well, <clears throat> where, he, where people could come and worship God at this monumental place. There's this big church, it's beautiful. I wish I could, I've got pictures, I should have them. I should, you know, and you're probably like, well, you shouldn't have said anything about the pictures if you're not going to show them. I'll show you. But down <clears throat> below the altar, uh, the front of the church, down below there, is where the well is. It's this well. It's probably about this big around. And you can go down there and you... And you it's, it takes about two verses of amazing grace to get that bucket up. And then you, there's a, and you can dip and you can drink from Jacob's well. And you can buy these little jars... I've heard that you can buy these little jars with water from Jacob's well. 
That's powerful to me. I don't know about you, but that's powerful. This is the, this is the well where Jesus sat and had this encounter with a woman at the well. And you can go there and you can drink that water. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool. Because we know for a fact Jesus was right here. I don't know, that's cool to me. And I've been there too. It's awesome. You need to go if you can. You need to go if you can. It's a life-changing experience. But, back to the story. So Jesus is at the well, and there's a lady that comes out to the well, and it's the middle of the day. It's not when people normally go to the well, because it's really, really hot. Normally they go early in the morning or later in the day when it's cooler. Because there's a long walk, and you've got to carry these big jars because, the jar, because you've got to get all the water you need for the day. You understand? So it's, it's kind of a job. So, and the women did it. Because you ladies know, if you didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. <laughs> all right, so... And this, but, but it's really strange for her to go in the middle of the day. And so she comes out and Jesus says, Hey, I'm thirsty. Will you give me something to drink? He said, and she said, Why are you talking to me? Jews don't talk to us. And, and he just went on to say, Well, if you know who it was, I was asking you for this drink of water, you would have a different opinion of this. And, and um, he began to tell her everything about her. That, you know, she had been married he said, this is Jesus. He's, he says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? Bring him out here. And she, go, and, and she said she wasn't married. And he went on to tell her, that's right. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with now, you're not married to. And she was like, well, let's change the subject. Um, and then begin, he, she says, well, I can tell that you're a prophet. And then she changes the subject and that's where we pick up the story today, right here. Let's uh, pick up the story in John chapter 4, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive, I perceive that you're a prophet. <clears throat> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you said that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all these things. See, that's when we'll, we can worship. That's when it'll be all okay. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That is a huge statement. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled. And, and then he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or, or why are you talking with her? They were just all about what they were up to. Because they've been looking for food, Right? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Hey, look, you need to come and see this man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and they were coming to him. <clears throat> and meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. 
Come on, eat. You've got to eat. But he said to him, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And of course, the disciples were like, oh, duh. Somebody bring him food. <laughs> so the disciples said, has someone brought him something to eat? Why, why do we go to all that trouble? If somebody was just going to bring him some food. My food is to do the will of him. This is what Jesus said. My food is to do the will of him who sent him me to accomplish his work. So don't say, the, don't, do you not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white to the harvest. Just look right here. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that so, the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town then believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And here's another big deal. So, this, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, in these minutes, open our minds, our will, our emotions to be transformed by the truth of your word into a better understanding of how big you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we have five thoughts. So here we go. Hang on. If, I hope you have your, your notes from your email. I printed them this morning. It, they went fine. It worked this week. So don't know, we don't, I don't know what the glitch was last week. When we tried it, it worked. You know, but that's, that's just it, you know. Kind of like the Wi-Fi. Who knows? All right, so anyway... <clears throat> Thought one. Your God is too small when, you, when your worship is about the where and the how. Your God is too small when your worship is about the where and the how. We see that in verse 19 and 20 when, and when her, uh, the Samaritan woman's questions are all about, well, you... You know, we're, our fathers tell us to worship on this mountain. You're, you tell us we have to worship in Jerusalem. You know, you know it's just, it's all about the where uh, we worship to her. It was all, God was all about the where we worship to her. God was all about the how we worship. You know, we can only, that's where we go to worship. Worship doesn't happen down here, down here at the well. Worship doesn't happen down here in my life. Worship, you know, with all my failed marriages and the guy I'm living with, worship Worship doesn't happen down here. Worship doesn't happen down here with my day-to-day task and, and going and, and coming and going and being and doing and all of that. That's not where worship happens. It worships, uh, happens up on that mountain. And how we worship has just been passed down to us. And for you, worship doesn't happen in all that place. It happens in the temple in Jerusalem. That's where it happens. To her, her God was so small that worshiping Him can only happen in one place and can only look like this. It was all about a place, about structure, 
about form, but she shared nothing about substance. She didn't speak of the object of that worship. The Lord God Almighty. And she didn't recognize Him when He was speaking to her. Maybe we can say, you should say, your worship is too small when you can't recognize God speaking to you. And you don't, re- and you, you will, you are at in danger of missing God's voice when your worship is all about the where and the how. Did you know that, do you know that everything you know about God may be exactly right? But your concept of God may be still far too small. It's all true what you believe, but too small, too limited. We need to allow ourselves to be blown away by the bigness of God. He is vast, vast. He is is vastly uh, immeasurable in the expanse of the universe. Do you know know that there are stars that God created? And the Bible says that he breathed and the stars came into being. Do you understand that there are stars that exist as far as we know? As far as we are able to go with our telescopes and thank you Mr. Hubble and all of that. There are stars that exist that... Their sheer immensity we can't fathom. We can't fathom the size of our sun. The earth compared to the sun is like a dot on a page. And the sun is like a basketball. Okay? Do you understand that there are other stars? There are other stars that, that exist. And in our, in our universe... There are other stars that exist that make our sun look like the dot. And that star looks like the superdome. You understand the vastness of that? The big, let your mind be blown away by that. That if you, and if the earth was the size of, thank you Louis Giglio for this illustration, but if the earth was the size of a golf ball, this particular star I'm referring to, that it would take enough golf balls to fill that star. It would would cover the state of Texas four feet high. And God breathed, and that star came into being. And the Bible says that the universe, which we have no idea how big it is, we'll never have any idea how big it is, that the universe and all its vastness fits in the span of His hand. That is how big 
God is. And He's vast when we look inwardly too. Brother Fred's been blowing our minds recently about nanotechnology and this little bitty nano machine that's inside of us. Teeny tiny thing that's inside. A little machine with a whip that just does this. And it's what makes viruses move. It's got, it, it's got bushings and bearings and fulcrums and it's a little machine inside you doing this. You can look deep, 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 deep inside of you in the very kind of rebar, building block, or, or whole glue that holds you together is this little thing called lanolin. And you look this up later. You look it up. The, the thing that holds us together at our vote in our most molec smallest molecular level is in the shape of a cross. Look it up. I don't mind telling you that now. You can't look it up right now. The Wi-Fi doesn't work. So, <laughs> Look it up later. It is amazing. That's the vastness of it. We have to let ourselves be blown away by how big, how vast, how incredibly intelligent He is. How enormous. How un searchable, how unapproachable He is. At the same time, He knows my name. And He calls me Son. Wow. Your God is too small. When you think He is only about the where and the how. So, question that begs to be asked. How is your worship about the where and the how? There are some people, I'm just I'll stand over here. There are some people that when they come into a room and they see that choir loft, they're like, oh, I can't worship in here because I don't like that music. Oh, me. There are some people who walk into a room and see this, this set of demon kettles. And I can't worship in here because of all that banging and ruckus. It's about the where and the how. And it ought not be. It ought to be about the one who is bigger than we can ever imagine. All right. Thought two. Biblical worship, then, is about the who Woo. and the why. Jesus said in this story, in this account we just read, He said, there's a day coming where we're going to, true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit, that's the emotion. Truth, that's the truth. It's the mind, it's the knowledge. You can't just be one or the other. For the, for the person who tends toward the emotional, like me. <laughs> I know, you're like, oh, big surprise. But, but who tends toward the emotional. I can't just be all like this all the time. I'm, it's got to be founded and grounded in the truth of God's Word. And, and then that, but when that, those two meet, 
wow. And then those who are just all about, I can't, I just got, I just want to know more, no more, no more, no more. Bad emotion, bad emotion. The, the more you know of that truth, the more it ought to ignite the emotion in you for who God is. See, God, because those, both of those things are eternal and what make us like God. When those two things meet, we ought to erupt into worship. Over the who and the why. The who is Jesus. The why is the gospel. That that big, great, mighty, unsearchable God created me. Saw me. Saw all the bad stuff about me. And counted me valuable. And sent His Son to provide my salvation because I couldn't. All for His glory and for my benefit. That is the gospel. And it is Jesus who provides that salvation. There's the who. There's the why. We just don't get that sometimes. We don't. How can you understand that and not shout His praise? How can you know that and sit still and unmoved when we sing songs of worship and praise and the great old hymns? How does that not move you? Maybe your God's too small. When, we, when all of this is intersecting, we should worship God everywhere, anywhere. In any time. It doesn't matter if it's on the mountain or in the temple. Or at 296 Blue Ridge Street. In Blairsville, Georgia. It can happen in your car. It can happen on your couch. It can it's how it's happening to so many at home now. Worship begins in you. And wherever you are. Maybe it's at a high, in a hospital room. Maybe it's at a visit with some, visiting someone who's hurting. Worship happens in you. Biblical worship is about the who and the why. And thought number three is Jesus is the who and the why. You know, the woman's well said this in verse 25. Look at this. She says... <clears throat> I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus said, Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. I want you to look at that. Jesus said, I am. Look at your Bible. Jesus said, I am. I am. I am that I am. The name that God gave told Moses, this is who you tell who sent you. I am sent you. Not I was. Not maybe one day I will be. Jesus doesn't have 
a beginning and an end. He just always has been. If you want your mind to be blown again by the bigness of who God is, you, we, we think linear, linearly on a line. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And all the stuff in between. God's just not there. There's no beginning. There's no middle. There's no end. There's no starting point. There's no creation of God. He's uncreated. Let your mind try to wrap around that. And, you, and it won't. And, it, and that's okay. Because he's bigger. He's bigger than the mind he created in you can fathom. He said, I am. And I am. That big God was sitting on the well that Jacob dug. Speaking. The first time Jesus ever Recorded that we have that Jesus referred to himself as I am. He says to the Samaritan woman. Wow. What does that say? The bigness of him. The greatness of God. It does not matter who you are. What your past is. What you've done. What's been done to you. I am. Your God is too small when you think what you've done or who you are is too bad for Him to overcome. So, how is your worship then about the who and the why? And do you know Jesus? Have you encountered I am? Really? Have you really encountered Him? Does your relationship with Christ make a difference? Only you can answer that. Does it make a difference? Does it matter? Does it season your conversation? With your family? With your friends? Where you work? Or is that part of your life compartmentalized? That's true, your God's too small. Let me tell you, God is big, and He ought to engulf our thoughts. He ought to be the motivation for what, what we, how, where we go, how we live. So thought three is Jesus is the who and the why. Thought four is in encountering Jesus compels us then to tell our story. 
This is what happened with the Samaritan woman. She ran to town. And she went to the people and said to them, let me tell you about the man who told me everything I ever did. Who do you think these people were she was talking to? I think there were probably some friends, maybe some family involved in that. I don't think it mattered. I think she went to the very ones who held all that against her. Let me tell you about the one who didn't know me, but knew me. Let me tell you about the one. She told her story because her encounter with Jesus compelled her to do so. She couldn't wait to tell her story to anyone who would listen, whether they would hold it against her or not. That's when you encounter a really big God. When, you're, when you don't kind of delineate who gets to hear your story. Your God might be a little bit too small. Your God is big when it doesn't matter who hears your story. And that's what we find. I mean, think, look at, look at, him, look at him, uh, Moses when he encountered God. I was reading it this morning. Reading this morning, he led the people out of, out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and had this amazing victory. And they were like, woo, singing hymns and writing songs. And then they get out, uh, out in the wilderness and it gets a little hard. And Moses goes up on the mountain. And he's up there a while, longer than they think he should have been there. And they said, well, you know what? We'll just make our own God. And Aaron said, I don't know how it happened. And he just gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came a calf. <clears throat> and Moses, Moses, of course, pitched the commandments at him and God smote some and, and, he, and Moses went back up. This is the Derek Hartley version, okay? This, don't quote any of this. Read it, okay? But Moses is back up on the mountain, and he's like, all right, God, look. <laughs> wow, you, whew, you got me out here leading these people. They are stiff-necked. If I'm going to do this, I need to see you. He said to God, show me your glory. And God did. He said, Moses, you can't take this. This is what I'll do. You stand over there in the cleft of the rock. I'll put my hand over you and then I'll pass and then I'll move my hand and you can just see my back. Wow. You think that changed Moses? You think it, you think it changed? <laughs> you think it changed Isaiah? When he found himself caught up in heaven 
and there were cherubim flying, seraphim flying around, and the temple was shaking, and there was smoke, and they were chanting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, oh God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You think he was changed? He said, Woo, woe is me. And then uh, I'm, a people, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. And then the cherubim brought a coal from the fire and touched it to his lips, and now you're clean. And so they just asked, so God asked the question, who, who am I going to send to tell these people? What did Isaiah say? Oh, I'm, not me, not me. He was like, send me, send me, send me. You think he was changed? When he encountered a great big God. What about Elijah? Where are you, Elijah? What you doing? What about John? <laughs> when, he, when, he was, when he saw heaven, he wrote Revelation. You think he changed him? What about Saul? When he's walking down the road, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he wrestled for days blind. You think he changed him? Changed his name. When we encounter Christ, it should compel us to tell our story. If you're not compelled to tell your story, then maybe the God you've encountered is too small. The God of your making, not the God of the Scripture, not the Creator of everything. So how is your encounter with Jesus Compelling you to tell your story. And then finally, today, thought five. Our story of encountering Jesus leads other, others to encounter Him as well. You know, she went and told the Samaritans. And they went and listened to Jesus. And they asked Him to stay. And then they told, went back to the Samaritan woman and said, This is, this is the Son of God. Not, not just because you said it but because we've seen Him and heard Him and we believe. She told them about the what and the where and the how. She told them about in her. This is the what and the where and the how. It's Jesus down, down at the well and He told me everything about me. So they went to hear Him for themselves. And after they did that, they understood the who and the why themselves. This is discipleship. This. Is how it's supposed to be. So. How then. Are you leading others. To encounter Jesus. How is your worship about. The where and the how. How is your worship reflecting the who and the why? What is, what is your encounter with Christ? Well, how has it changed you? How is it compelling you to tell your story? And how is your story leading others to encounter Christ as well? Let's stand together. We're going to take a time to contemplate this.
If the Lord is moving in you and you need to do work with Him, please come to the altar. If you need to pray, if if Holy Spirit has moved in you and there's something, maybe your God is too small. Maybe it's in this area. Maybe your God, the God of your marriage, is just too small. The God of your workplace is just too small. The God of your circumstance is too small. Maybe you need to come. And do some time with, uh, do some business here with the Lord this day. Let's, as Ed comes, you come.